0: Well, it's that time of year. It is Christmas season. We've been driving around looking at Christmas lights is what we've been doing in different neighborhoods. If you have any uh, suggestions, any neighborhoods that you've seen with a lot of Christmas lights, let me know because uh, we're driving our kids uh, through those neighborhoods lately. And maybe you've been waiting for this time of year for a while. This kid right here on this video has been waiting for a while. Somebody asked him that. He said, I have been waiting. Take a look at this. Have you been waiting a long time? Too long. His excitement got the better of him when his uncle did arrive. <laughs> <laughs> Little Jamie, w- <laughs> I, <clears throat> I am too immature not to laugh at that. <laughs> I watched that three times in a row, and I laughed every time. And I thought I would show you to see if you were immature too. I'm the most immature person. Okay. Similar to Mark, that girl just put her head down and ran. And that's kind of the way Mark writes his gospel. If you have your Bibles, go to Mark chapter 1, and he is just rushing through the life of Jesus. And between verses 13 and 14, we have a six-month gap. Mark skips the first six months of Jesus' ministry after verse 13. So we are fast-forwarding in verse 14 at least six months into it today. And here's three things about the Gospel of Mark that maybe you didn't know. It's the shortest Gospel account out of Matthew, Mark. Luke and John. It has, by far, the fewest amount of words and uh, and stories about Jesus. Also, it is the first written account about Jesus. Matthew is not the first written account. Mark is. Now, in your Bibles, chronologically, it looks like Matthew's first. Actually, Mark was written first, then Matthew, then Luke, then John. And also this. Many of you probably know that the Bible is the most translated book in the history of the world. And it's not even close, but actually... The Bible is not a book. It is a collection of books. Out of all the books in the Bible, Mark is the most translated book in the history of the world. And so sometimes when a nation gets gets a translation into their own language for the first time, it is Mark that is the first one translated and written. Many countries, many languages only have the book of Mark. They don't have Matthew, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, first Corinthians, and so on. And So mark itself is the most translated book individual book in the history of the world And so today in mark chapter 1 we're going to be going through verses 14 through 20 if you can imagine uh, Being out on the ocean for a moment and we're going to put our snorkeling gear on for a few minutes And we're just going to cover the surface of this passage, but then at the end we're going to put our scuba gear on and dive a little bit Deeper but beginning with verse 14 I'm going to read this verse from the old King James version It says now after that John was put in prison and In Mark chapter 6 it's going to tell us about Those events but Jesus Came into Galilee And what was he doing Preaching The gospel of the Kingdom of God time out Did you know that Jesus was a preacher Did you know that Jesus was a preacher. Now, I've heard all the jokes about preachers. You don't need to tell me any new jokes after the service. I've heard them all. Okay, I know preachers only work one day a week. I've heard that one, okay? You don't need to tell me after the service and break my heart again. And really, it's only one hour out of that one day a week. I've also heard this one after a particular church service. A little boy walks up to his preacher. He's shaking hands at the exit. And he walks up to his preacher and says, When I grow up, I'm going to give you all my money. And the preacher said, Why would you do that? little boy said, my dad says you're the poorest preacher he's ever seen. And so I'm going to give you all my money. But Jesus was a preacher. He was not a miracle worker who sometimes preached. He was a preacher who sometimes performed miracles. That's what he did. There is a statistic over 30 times in the book of Matthew, Mark, and Luke jesus is preaching or commanding others to preach look at this verse in mark chapter 1 verse 38 a little bit farther down your page in your bible let us go somewhere else jesus says to the nearby villages so i can do what so i can preach there also and then catch this that is why i have come to preach to all of the different villages jesus was preaching the gospel He wasn't having a group discussion, and there's a time for a group discussion, and he wasn't having a two-way conversation, though there's a time for that. He was having a one-way Jesus up here talking. There's an audience. They're listening. He wasn't teaching. He was preaching, and you say, well, what's the difference in, in preaching and teaching? Preaching has an urgency behind it. It has an invitation, it has a decision, it's, it's hammering you with urgency. What was the urgent message that Jesus was preaching? Look at verse 15. It tells us the time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. And then he tells them to do two things: repent and believe the good news. Repent is a word that means reverse course. Two words: reverse course. What does repent mean everybody reverse Reverse course you're listening. I just want to make sure you're listening reverse course You're going that way in your life. Now you're going that way in your life And then he says believe believe is actually an action word. It's way more than intellectually believing He says it goes from the head, but he wants it to go to the heart This may be the most important 18 inches of your life it's not whether you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. It's whether you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And not only does Jesus want it to go from your head to your heart, but he wants it to go to your hands. Head, heart, hands. Head, heart, hands. Head, heart, hands. Would you do that with me for a moment? Head, heart, hands. Head, heart, by the way, we are designing our uh, future Bible studies to be taught in a head-heart-hands way. We did it last week in our Bible study lesson tonight for the first time. We went over the passage that we spoke on last week. What did it mean to your head? What did you learn? What did it mean to your heart? And then what do you do with it? It's, it's Christianity is way more than just head. And it even goes beyond the heart. It goes to what are you doing? We want this church to be a head heart hands church amen i want to be a christian i want to be a husband i want to be a father that's not just a head i just don't know things about fatherhood i i grab it in my heart and it goes out in my life head heart hands and by the way that's just fun to do isn't it wasn't that kind of fun i practiced it a long time to make sure i got it right this morning head heart hands and then it goes on in verse 16 and one of the most fascinating promises that jesus has ever given us jesus walked beside the sea of galilee he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen come follow me now watch this and I will make you What do you think Jesus makes you when you follow him I would think he would make you more disciplined I need more discipline I would think I, I tell you what Jesus probably finishes this sentence with, come follow me and I will make you more ethical. I will make you behave better. I will make you sin less. I will make you smarter. You'll become a great Bible theologian. Jesus actually wrote the Bible, by the way. So if you follow him, you're gonna become much smarter. Is that what Jesus says? Out of all the things that I would think he would say, I would think he would say some of those things. That's not what he says. What does he say? Come follow me, verse 17. And I will make you, everybody read it out loud, fishers of men. Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You know there's two kinds of churches in China? There's an above-ground church and an underground church. The underground church is an illegal church. If you get caught in an underground church, you will get minimally thrown into prison. Maximally, you will... you you will be killed and your family will be killed somewhere in between an underground church has about 50 million members to it at least that we know of as if we know of all the members but minimally we know they have about 50 million members in the underground church there's also an above-ground church An above-ground church has a building they shake hands they sing songs there's a speaker they take communion they pass the offering plates Uh, They laugh together, they talk together, they pray together. There's an above-ground church. But what's the difference between the above-ground church and the underground church? The above-ground church is sanctioned by the government. Which means the government is listening to everything that they are saying. There is one thing that the above-ground church cannot do that the underground church is doing. And that is this. The above-ground church is not allowed to evangelize. They cannot fish for men. They are not allowed to try to walk somebody into faith with Jesus Christ. They are not allowed to try to point someone into a relationship, a saving relationship with their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They're not allowed to do that. If they do it, guess what happens? Their church gets burned down. Watch the news, it happens actually quite a bit. Doesn't get reported here very much, but churches get burned down all the time. The underground church would say this, if you're not fishing for men, you're not a Christian. How can you be a follower of Jesus and not be fishing for me? How is it possible? So I got a question just for you, not for this church, just for you. Ask yourself this question. If some of those Chinese Christians would come over here and meet you, would they watch your life and say, you're an above ground Christian or an underground Christian? above-ground church or an underground church. And then it goes on in verse 18 to say at once they left their nets and followed him. That is remarkable. That is impressive. No, Jesus, give me a few hours. I need to talk to my wife. I need to talk to my family. I just got to hire some things out and maybe I'll follow you. And I would think they should have done that. Just quite frankly, it's crazy. They just dropped their nets and followed him. But by the way, those three words, they left their nets. or Some of your translations probably say "drop their nets. That is symbolism for full commitment, full surrender. I'm not going to let anything get in the way of me, Jesus, following you. Not even my debts. Not my job. Not my finances. Not paying my bills. Not what I love to do. I'm not going to let anything get in the way of me following you. Full commitment. By the way, that is the only way to follow Jesus. And Simon and Andrew did it. Look at verse 19 and 20. It happens again. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets without delay. So Simon and Andrew was at once, James and John, without delay. He called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. No excuses, no questions, not going to check out my calendar. I'm following you, Jesus, without delay. I am impressed by that, aren't you? I am amazed that that is how they responded to following Jesus. Not everybody always did. You don't have to turn there, it's going to be on the screen, but in Luke chapter 9, there are some men who wanted to follow Jesus. And this is what they said. They said that they would follow him. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service kingdom of God, but first, but first, I'll follow you, but first, I'll follow you, but I, I, I gotta do this, I'll follow you except for when this gets in the way, I'll follow you unless these things happen in my life, and what did Jesus do? He said, then you're not a follower of me. He didn't give him that option, and then over in chapter 14, it happens again. It actually uses the word excuses. Uh, this is Jesus giving this parable A certain man was preparing a great banquet Invited many guests At the time of the banquet he sent his servant To tell those who had been invited Come for everything is now ready But they all alike began to make what? Excuses The first said I have just bought a field And I must go and see it Please excuse me Another said I have just bought five yoke of oxen I'm on my way to try them out <laughs> Please excuse me And then this one's the funniest verse 20. Still another said, Hey, I just got married, dude. (laughs) I can't come. Got other things going. The servant came back and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered a servant. Go out quickly into the streets and of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told the servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Following Jesus, just so you know, is a no excuse, at once, immediately, without delay, proposition. It was every time in our New Testament. Every time. So we've been snorkeling through this passage. Now let's put on our scuba gear a second and dive a little bit deeper. I want to pull out three aspects of this story that have grabbed my heart. Number one, the historical aspect of this passage. We wouldn't know this today. We're 20 centuries removed from the first century. But I want to look at who Jesus picked. Simon, Andrew, James, and John. Did you know to be a Jewish boy meant that you had to go through three levels of schooling. It would be similar to us as a bachelor's and uh, uh, master's uh, bachelor's, master's and doctorate. And they started when they were six. What did they do when they were six years old? They started to memorize the Torah. The Torah is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, numbers and Deuteronomy. They memorized it. I have a hard time reading Leviticus. They could have written Leviticus, six years old. They're memorizing it. And then there's another level of schooling, and then there's another level of schooling. Throughout those years of schooling, this is what would happen. If you weren't making the cut, if you weren't good enough, if you weren't first class, if you weren't cream of the crop, there'd be some instructor come up beside you, and they say, hey, bud, you might want to start learning the trade of your father. You may want to start learning fishing. If you know what I mean you're not gonna make it Jesus comes along with Simon and Andrew and James and John and what are they doing they're fishing what does that mean they were kicked out they weren't good enough they weren't first-class they were the forgotten men they were the throwaways but who does Jesus go to to be his first disciples The forgotten men, the throwaways. Here's what I learned. Jesus, there are no forgotten men to Jesus. There are no throwaways to Jesus. I don't know what your past is. I don't know what you have going on in your life. I don't know if somebody's told you that you're not good enough spiritually. That is not how Jesus looks at you. How others look at you is not how Jesus looks at you. There are no forgotten people in his kingdom. He calls fishermen. Everybody else has forgotten. They weren't good enough. They were second tier. There's no second tier in Jesus' kingdom. If you don't believe me, you ought to have a conversation with Moses. Moses will tell you. He'll tell you, hey, I wasn't. I, I couldn't talk well. I told God when he asked me. I can't talk well. God chose me anyway. You ought to have a conversation with King David. Actually, I have a conversation with Jesse, his dad. When Samuel went to look for a king He went to Jesse, can you show me Your boys? He went In order to show him his boys He said, those aren't the kings, do you have any other boys? Jesse said, no, ah, actually yeah One out in the field, but you don't want to talk to him He's too young, he's too little, he's a shepherd boy He doesn't qualify Who does he end up picking? King David I don't care what others say about you God has his eye on you God looks at the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance. That's actually what was said about King David. The historical aspect has grabbed me this week. Number two, the personal aspect. Now, we envision the Sea of Galilee. There's Simon, Andrew, James, and John. They're fishing. Jesus walks up to him and, do you want to follow me? That's not how it went down. At the Sea of Galilee, at that time, there would have been hundreds of fishermen, if not thousands of fishermen out. There's a huge crowd of fishermen and I am amazed that Jesus didn't do what so many of us preachers do and walk up on some stone on his stage and say, Hey announcement, if anybody wants to follow me, come on, I'm I'm going anybody, anybody, everybody, he didn't do that. He didn't have a sign up sheet at the end of the service sign up back there if you want to follow me, what did he do? Personally, he went to Simon. Hey, through the crowd. He, had, he would have had a fight through the crowd. He picked out Simon and said, Will you follow me? Andrew. Follow me. He's done the same to you. Can't you feel that? I mean, can't you feel it? At some point in your life, God's tapped you on the shoulder. God's nudged your heart. He's pulled on your soul. You know he's calling you. You know it. It's personal. I think back to the first time he did it to me. Do you know when the day was? It was this day, December 2nd. Today's December 2nd. Today is my spiritual birthday. I was baptized on December 2nd, 1990. And I remember when he he tapped on my shoulder, it was personal. He was calling me out. And he's called me out multiple times in my life. He's going to call you out. Maybe he's calling you out today. But I am amazed that this is a personal invitation from Jesus. If you've ever said uh, said yes to Jesus, you know that. You know it's personal. And number three, we have the historical aspect. We have the personal aspect. And we have the immediate aspect without delay at once. Now, I'm, I'm going to tell you about my study this week. I disagreed with Simon, Andrew, James, and John. Dude, you got to go home. You got to sleep on it. I mean, okay, it's Jesus. So say you're praying about it, right? That's what we say. I'll pray about it. You got to make a list of pros and cons. That's that's how we make decisions. I don't even agree with Simon, Andrew, James, and John and how they made it. Actually, James, and John, if you look at the passage, they left their dad there with the nets. Hey, let me finish my job today, then I'll go follow you. It's a little disrespectful to leave my dad like that did not it? At once. So when I was studying this, I struggled right here. I didn't even agree. And then it hit me. Well, first of all, it hit me. Jesus is smarter than me. <laughs> That's a good place to start. Number two, it's like they just pulled the band-aid. You know what I'm talking about? To follow Jesus at some point, you just have to, you just do it. You just pull the band-aid. You, you, you take the leap and then it hit me. Maybe, maybe that's the only way to follow Jesus. Uh, there's guys who've been preaching 40 or 50 years. I've only been preaching 18 years. But i, I got to tell you, 18 years, the people who have come to me and said someday I will commit, someday I will say yes, someday I will surrender, 99% of them never do. They never do. You don't back your way into following Jesus. You don't accidentally one day wake up and say, oh, it finally happened, I'm following Jesus. I'm just telling you, at some point, you have to pull that aid You have to take the jump. You have to take the radical leap of faith and say, you know what? I'm in. I'm all in. I am going to be a follower of you. So I got a question as we close. And this is just an honest question for you. Do you think those four men, just curious. Do you think those four men, by saying yes to Jesus, do you think they knew what their journey was gonna be like the next three years, or the next 20 years? Do you think they knew what they were saying yes to? Not on your life. It would be similar to grabbing a seven-year-old girl and asking her, will you please write an essay on how your life is gonna turn out? Can you write an essay on how how your life is gonna be? And then 80 years later, asking that same woman Can you write an essay on how your life turned out? Do you think those two essays are gonna be the same? She has no idea how her life is gonna be. And when you said yes to Jesus, you had no idea what you were getting into. They didn't either. And I gotta tell you, sometimes it feels like you're walking down a dead-end street, doesn't it? There's mountaintops, but there's valleys. And there's times it feels like you're forgotten. There's times it feels like you've been left. There's times you feel like, wait a minute, where are you, Lord? Why are you putting me through this? But I can tell you this. At the end of the day, he will make you a fisher of men. He will. Did he to Simon Andrew, James, and John? Did he? Fast forward three and a half years. Acts chapter four. They're fishing for men. And here's what it says. When the crowds and the authorities saw the courage of Simon, that Simon, And John, same story, same guys, and realized that they were second tier, second class. They didn't, hey, those are the guys that we kicked out, right? Ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with who? They'd been followers of Jesus. God had turned them into fishermen. Jesus had done exactly what he said they would do. And I just got to tell you, the rest of their life, honestly, was horrible. Materially speaking, it was great because they're following Jesus, but those guys were killed for following Jesus. They were stoned. They were beaten. They had no idea what it meant to follow Jesus when they said yes three and a half years earlier. So there's an old song. Called, I have decided to follow Jesus. Have you heard it? If you grew up in church, maybe you've heard this song. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. But there's something bigger about the song. By the way, same song sang December 2nd, 1990. At an invitation like this. 200 years ago, at a Welsh revival, there were many men who gave their life to Christ and decided to become missionaries. They went to northern India outskirts of India savage tribes never heard of Jesus they were headhunters quite frankly and in this one tribe there was one family who gave their life to Christ and the tribal chief went up to this family big tribal meeting in the middle of the village and he looked at the man and said if you don't renounce your faith in this whoever this Jesus guy is I'm going to kill your two boys and loved his two boys. And then he said, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. And the tribal chief gave the order, and the two guards pulled back their arrows and shot the two boys. And he looked at the man, if you don't renounce your faith, I am going to kill your wife in the same way The man loved his wife. And he looked around the tribe. Is anybody going to help me? Nobody stood up. And he said, though none go with me, still I will follow And with that, the tribal chief gave the order, and two guards pulled back their arrows and shot his wife. Then he looked at the man who had given his life to Christ, and he said, if you don't renounce your faith in Jesus, I will kill you. Knowing his world, his kids and his wife, who's now behind him, he looked at the chief and said, The world behind me, the cross before him. No turning back. No turning back. He gave the guards the order. The spot on that day, that tribal chief gave his life to Christ. And then the rest of the village did too. Because one man stood up and said, I have decided.